society called? Horror Business. Business horror. Horror, horror Business. Our podcast where we try to understand what makes horror movies succeed. And we're going to define success as if it made money. Monetary success. Yeah. Financial gain, if you will. The only thing that matters. So, one of our principles in this is that um, we're not going to look at what critics say. Um, we're, we're not going to really even take our own... We're going to take our own view into account to a certain extent. But really what we're trying to understand is, you know, the market is kind of the, the truest critic. It's the ultimate critic. And how does the art market behave uh, based on the different films that we discuss? And try to get a better understanding of the market. The problem, though, is that it's it wouldn't be, like, totally... Um, accurate, I think, to say that critical evaluation of a film has no bearing on how it performs in the market. Do you know what I mean? So, like, if a movie was really panned by critics and flopped, like, it's very likely there's a correlation between the two of those. Right. But then, then the, you know, in order to impress the critics, like, movies try to impress critics in order to get reviews that will influence people to see it and ultimately make money. So, like... If you can convince critics and not make money, then it's a failure. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so critics only matter insofar as they lead a movie to make money. That's a statement. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's your Making agree. statements. They want to pick movies that they think are going to do well, generally. They want to choose movies so. that they think they, are going to do well. They want to choose movies... What do you mean choose, first of all? I think they just review... They like movies that they like for whatever reason. And they write well if they think it's a good film based off whatever their criteria for what's a good film is. Well, their um, importance in the marketplace like, is that they can choose good movies. So th- they really do... Like, I think there's an argument to be made that they also, like... They wouldn't... They wouldn't want to... They, w- like, they couldn't afford to just pick movies that no one watches. People go to them to decide what movies to watch, so they have to anticipate what the market wants. Right. Right, that makes sense. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, there are some movies where you know it's going to get good critical reviews, but it's not going to do well. And vice versa. Like, you know Transformers is going to do well, but it's not going to get good reviews. Right. And you know, like, Manchester by the Sea is going to get good critical reviews, but it's not going to do well. I mean, I guess it did well also. But you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where, where there are some things that watchers care about, like being entertained... Mm-hmm. and explosions and scares and whatever that critics don't necessarily care about. Mm-hmm. But those things are, are equally important to a film's success. So, you know, you need things that critics value, but you also need things that are just, right. like, candy for watching. Well, it would be an interesting thing to, at some point, look at a few films, or maybe just one major film, that was critically, like, panned in the horror genre, but nonetheless was, like, a massive, massive success. <clears throat> right. Because, like, if that's the case, if that frequently happens, then that's an indication that critics really don't have a say at all. Are, are there critics <laughs> in the horror genre, in, like, the deep horror genre, who, who are, like, who are really just respected critics for that? I don't um, know. Yeah, I'm sure there are. I don't know them off Horror critics? The big ones, but <clears throat> I'm sure if you were in that field, you would know the names, the names to know. I don't know. Maybe Roger Ebert's ghost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Jokes. Fine. So should we? That's the name of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. So should we do introductions? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Uh, Benjamin Joseph Zweig. 
recently engaged, is a ah, data yeah. scientist for International Business Marketplace. This is In, where he's International <laughs> Business Machines. <laughs> okay, IBM. Uh, who is a horror fan in his spare time. Yes, indeed. Um, are we going clockwise? Indeed. So, Yudidya Gorsetman is a filmmaker. He made two films, one of which is jammed. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure everyone listening has heard of it and seen it multiple times, so we don't have to go into jammed. It's so famous. Um, and, and, uh, and his second film is in post-production right now called Empathy, Inc., and it's a thriller. Um, With elements of horror, I would say. Yep. <clears throat> what to say about Ellie? Um, not much. <laughs> Ellie is a writer. He's a uh, he's an author of. Wait, you put up. Uh, well, how many of you books have you written? Three. Um, written or published? No, written. Five. Five. Okay. Published zero. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm working on it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but Ellie has representation. Uh, <laughs> And uh, in addition, he's also, he has another podcast, um, which is, uh, wait, what's the title? It's called Middle Grade Horror. Middle Grade Horror, right. It's also about scary stories. Right. But it's like fiction stories geared towards a younger audience. Right. And I haven't listened to the most recent one, but I've been listening to all the other ones. (laughs) Yeah. It's good. It's good. Okay. And that's, that's the group. Yeah. Um, To our first episode of Horror Business, where we're going to compare... Just say following. scary business also. Mm, okay, I'll, I'll think about it. We're trying to figure iteration. out the name right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so so in this first episode, um, we're going to discuss, uh, we're going to compare and contrast the following two films. Don't Breathe and Hush. So the reason why we decided to compare these two is because they're very similar in a lot of ways. They're both kind of trapped in a house type movies. And, um, they involve characters at the center who have disabilities as well. Very good. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, so, so in, in Hush, the protagonist is blind, and in Don't Breathe... No, the... in Hush, the protagonist is deaf. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, in Hush, the protagonist is deaf. In Don't Breathe, the antagonist... Is blind. Maybe protagonist. <laughs> is, you know, up for debate. Is, I like uh, where this guy's blind. going. <laughs> <laughs> is blind. Um, yeah. Alright, so, uh, so that's why we chose it. Okay, um, just to give a brief synopsis of Hush, the first film, uh, it's basically about a woman who is a writer, a deaf writer, who goes to a a retreat, a house in the woods, to work on her manuscript, um, and she is stalked by this masked killer who, once he realizes that she's deaf, he removes her mask. He removes his mask, and uh, he tries to basically pursue her and kill her in the house, and she battles him for a large portion of the film, ultimately succeeding in getting away with her life. Wait, you said, wait, he removed his mask once he realized she was dead? No, I think he did it he once. Did he might, he yeah. did it once she was trapped because. Well, he she did it basically like, to tell her like, "I'm not going." Well, no, right. At one point, she, she right. tried to be like, "I don't. I didn't see your face. Go away. It's fine. Don't worry." And one of the scares was that he was like, "Okay, now you see my face." Like, yes. I'm right. Ready. Right. Right. Which, but does which, that have anything to do with her deafness? Uh, no, I guess not. 
Yeah, which, 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 is a good, <laughs> which is actually a good point that we should talk yeah. about later, which is, I think, also one of the shortcomings of the movie. Uh, but we can, we can talk about that later. Right, like, her deafness is... Has nothing to do with just what she's being attacked irrelevant. by. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Okay, fine. Now, in, in terms of the synopsis of uh, Don't Breathe, uh, so, as Ben was saying, the uh, antagonist and protagonist switch. Basically, um, three thieves... Uh, hear that there's money in this uh, in this home and um, of this uh, re- retired uh, military guy and they, they hear there's $300,000 locked in there and they sneak in in the middle of the night and um, they, they realize that he's um, that he's actually he's blind and um, so their guard is down ultimately though even though he is blind he, he actually makes for a very good fighter and and has uh, and can do things that, that they can't do. So he can feel where they are in a room. He has, like, all of his other senses are, are extremely high. Um, and um, in tr- kind of trying to get the money and, and doing kind of the uh, um, the selfish thing, uh, the main character learns humanity um, and uh, <clears throat> makes it out alive, but, but barely. Yeah. Sounds good. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Then there's also this part about the woman in the house. Right, well, right. so... Yeah, I, I didn't mention that, but yeah, okay. yeah. Do you want to say? It? Uh, yeah, maybe that should be okay. So, so we find out in the middle that that this this guy who is who is you know who we thought was innocent, this innocent blind guy who they were robbing, is actually keeping a woman locked up in his basement, and um, in order to impregnate her because she had killed his daughter in a car accident by accident and he kind of takes it upon himself to lock her up and impregnate her so that she kind of replaces his daughter mm-hmm. um super fucked up and um and that's really the point where we're like okay this this guy isn't really an innocent um victim at all he's like a terrible person um and and it really you know throughout the whole film we're kind of wondering who we're supposed to root for right. which i think is uh, well, once that's revealed, I think it's pretty clear who you're supposed to root for because he's really painted as like this vile guy. Even, even then, I think it's a, it's it's a little bit like you do feel bad for him because he's being robbed yeah. or because he lost his daughter. Well, the re- the money that he has is because um, because he won because a lawsuit, he won lawsuit. With the, where he got the money from the right. from the people who killed his daughter. Yeah. yeah, and it doesn't really make the protagonists really that much more sympathetic. Right. Right. I mean, there's still, like, pretty bad people robbing an innocent person's house or who, someone who they think is innocent. The, the really, when it becomes... Uh, I mean, I think we're getting a little off course also because we don't have to go this much into depth, right. but really the moment that I think it changes is when he tries to impregnate the main character. Oh, and yeah. that's really when it changes, where he actually just becomes <clears throat> a straight-up monster. Yeah, I hear that. But I think what's really good about um, Don't Breathe uh, for both of, those, both of those things is that it really has, you know, the main character, the protagonist, and the antagonist are both very morally murky. You don't really know. Like, right. They both have yeah. angles in them that are really good and really bad. Like, we have reasons why these people are trying to rob his house in the first place. And, like, you know, we, we understand that they're in this position where they don't have a lot of money. They're trying to get it so they can start over in, you know, California or wherever. Um, but they're also robbing a guy's house. And then we have the guy who's, like, trying to replace his daughter who was killed in an accident, but he's holding somebody prisoner in the process of doing it. Right, right. 
He's like the Walter White of don't breathe. <laughs> it's a very narrow category. Um, anyway, so so uh, so let's go over the uh, the facts of the movie, of the of the movies. Right? Financial so, facts. Financial facts and and also who made it stuff like that. So, Hush was made by Mike Flanagan in two thousand sixteen. He is also known for movies like um, Oculus, Ouija. Um, it was produced by Blumhouse, the biggest horror movie production company. Oh, damn. He's doing a... He's adapting Stephen King's novel, Gerald's Game, which is a really amazingly fucked up book. Oh, cool. That is cool. Well, it sucks for Gerald's Game that Mike Flanagan is making it. <laughs> but um, anyway, so so he made this movie for a million dollars, pretty cheap, um, and it did not you can tell. get yeah, it did not get a theatrical production, um, release. theatrical release. So it went straight to Netflix. Pretty much. So it's it's hard to say how much revenue it brought in. But it went straight to Netflix and was not widely widely distributed. It's a pretty safe assumption that it did not do well. Um, okay, Don't Breathe, on the other hand, uh, was directed by Fede Alvarez, who also uh, directed Evil Dead. Um, it was produced by Ghost House Pictures, and was made for $10 million and made $157 million in box office. Which so is insane. Runaway success, huge, hugely successful. So, so you know now now it's um, now we've got these two films that are pretty much similar, and one was a flop and one was a big success. So why is that? Hmm. Um, all right, so so let's uh, let's evaluate them. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I think we're in agreement, the three of us, that we preferred Don't Breathe much more than we did, or more than Hush as yeah. a film overall. Yeah, I, th- I think Hush pretty much sucked. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I wasn't a fan. I mean, I didn't love Don't Breathe either. I think you guys loved it. I was like, it's better than Hush, but it's not up there with the good guys in my estimation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I had a lot of issues with Don't Breathe. Yeah, and I think I, I could also tell you, we could start with Hush, I could tell you why I didn't like it. I mean, sure. I think this is what we were talking about before. Basically, um, the main character not being able to hear had nothing to do uh, with the villain that was attacking her. And what, what we found um, is that in a lot of great horror films, you know, the, the, the main character has a problem, and then they are, uh, or in, in just in general, in, in good storytelling, the main character has a problem, and then they get attacked by kind of the worst nightmare uh, and of, of that person's problem. So, you know, if the, if the person can't... Um, you know, has a hard time, uh, you know, they don't have confidence, then they're going to be put into a situation where they have to learn how to have confidence in, in order to get out of it. Can you give, like, a real-life movie example? Yeah, like... Um, like Back to the Future, let's say. Like... George, Marty McFly. Yeah, oh, that's a good example. So, yeah, Marty McFly, um, he's scared of... Uh, of rejection. Scene. Of rejection, right. right? That's why he doesn't the send in the... the beginning. Be- exactly. That's why he doesn't send in the uh, his yeah. album to the production company to get it... to get the produced into a, into a record. Um, and so what happens is he gets put into, he goes back in time and, um, oh, but actually really what it is is he's embarrassed by his parents' relationship. That's his problem? That's the issue they think? No, 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 no. You're, you're right. Anyway, basically, it, no, it, there's a few things, but I think okay. you're right. The main thing is he, that's his problem. 
that he's scared of rejection. He's scared of like, um, career rejection. He's scared of well, he's music and be carrying yeah, show, no, show, showing his like creativity. But but at the end, he's he he's uh, well, he goes through this whole thing where he where his father learns how to stand up for himself and he's not scared of rejection and by asking out beats his mother yeah. beats a fifth and then so he learns not to be scared and at the end he plays in front of the entire school. Yeah. Finally, he plays rock and roll. He really wows Marvin Berry also in that scene. Right, right. So, so anyway, so I think that um, in general we found that um, that pattern a, a lot in the films uh, that we've seen, and in Hush, it really just doesn't fit into that. And I think that it, it it really suffers. Things just don't feel like they're connected, and and the character is really inactive. I remember that the character problem in that movie is that she's she's a. Uh, Remember, she, she doesn't um, take control or, or something like that. Remember with uh, her relationship, she didn't... Yeah. Uh, she didn't... She wasn't active in the relationship, and the relationship kind of fell apart. Yeah, so she does have this problem where we're kind of led to believe that, oh, this is something she's going to overcome. The story's going to be about her overcoming her issues, and yet it doesn't at all. She has... She, she doesn't defeat him by overcoming anything. She just sort of happens to get lucky... And also, even if you interpret her problem as being deaf and, and she has this disability that she has to that she has to learn how to overcome, then that would kind of make sense. You know, if, if she has some advantage to being deaf and she needs to use that to her advantage, that would make sense. You know, if she used some sort of like I don't know, like like crazy loud noise that that, that could uh, distract people, but it didn't distract her, that would be interesting. Wasn't but there, she's deaf, and it doesn't happen. Wasn't there something with her phone, or there was like a loud noise and an alarm that went off? Yeah, at some yeah. Point? So there was there was this fire alarm that that yeah. went off, and it was very distracting, and 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 that was all set up to be to be the one thing where she like uses her deafness to her advantage, but it turns out she just sort of set it off while they were fighting, and she like gets a sort of advantage while they're fighting for a second, but he ends up winning the fight. Right. It's also unclear why yeah. that what, what that sound has to do with him. Be yeah. Meaning it has no relationship to him. He wasn't really distracted by it at all. It was set up like it would be uh, so such a weird thing to have. <clears throat> okay, so I think I, I agree with both of those points. I think though that you know, obviously the point that I think one of the points they were trying to make by having her be deaf was explore how to scare viewers, you know, or using a deaf protagonist. And there's like there's like the scenes. I think one of the first scenes is where her neighbor runs to the house and is banging on the door trying to get her attention, and the man kills her, but she's deaf, so she can't hear that. Mm -hmm. um, and there's something to be said. I don't know if it's necessarily true, but like, how important is the flaw in the main character versus? The value, like the priority of like achieving a good scare, divorced well, from like a specific character. Well, I, I do really feel that it's it's not that like I don't think every uh, audience member when they see let's say Back to the Future or whatever any of these movies that they go and leave. Oh wow, like you know this yeah. character really grew. Right. But I think it's just it's efficient for as a mechanism to allow you to have good scares because explain <clears throat> well. Uh, if you know, if you have a character who you know their weakness and you know the situation that they're in, they can't get out of because of their weakness because right. it directly attacks their weakness. That mean that makes it more tense. So I, I think yeah, that more specific for sure. Well, no, not just more specific. I, I think it makes it more tense because this is the worst person to be involved in this in right. this scenario. Right, I hear that. I'm thinking though about a lot of the films where like the victim is sort of throwaway. You know, like a babysitter at a camp, like or. A camper at a summer camp and like you have this killer this like awful vicious monster like pursuing them and it's really about the method that the killer monster 
whatever is, is taking to kill this victim rather than the victim, his or herself, and his or her flaws that play into that. But a lot of those movies I'm thinking of, you know, like, like um, Halloween or... Um, well, Halloween there is that also because, because the sister, I forgot her name, <clears throat> you know, she, she sort of gave up on him as a member of her family. And now she has to, she has to deal with, with having Michael Myers as a family member, and there, there's like, there, there's something she has to get over, um, and and she and she ends up being sort of sympathetic to that in the Halloween movies. Okay, interesting. But anyway, it was not in Hush. But we can also agree that even if whether you think this is an important strategy for a film to take or not, Hush didn't even have the scares. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so another reason why it didn't have the scares. And Ellie, you brought this up when we were watching it, I think. That that the villain, when the vil- so something really weird happened with the villain. She she said, you know, there was this scene where she told the villain, you know, go away. I didn't see your face. You know, you can still leave and you'll be fine. But he takes off his mask and and tells her, you know, I'm not going anywhere. And then he said, I'm not going to come in. I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to wait until you're, you're, um, you're like so tortured and desperate, and then I'm going to kill you. Right. So what that does to the watcher is it tells us there's no point where he wants to kill her. Like, like over the next hour of watching this movie, we know he doesn't want to kill her. So it's just a game, and it becomes stupid. We're not scared that he's going to kill her because he doesn't even want to. It's, yeah. it's so unentertaining. It just makes leaving the house scary. I'm like, okay, just leaving the house. Okay, so Don't Breathe, I think we all liked a lot more, as stated earlier. Uh, and the reasons, I mean, for me, the first reason is, like, I just thought it was scarier. I thought there were moments where it was way more tense and, like, suspenseful. Um, and there were serious stakes involved multiple times throughout uh, but even more than that I think what it did at one point which I think a lot of really great fucked up horror movies do is that it sort of like lulls you into this sense of like okay I know what the world is I get what the stakes are I get what's going on and then it just pulls the rug out from under you and it makes you be like oh something just happened which is way more fucked up than I anticipated and in this particular case it was the fact that like okay they break into this house and then they had this blonde guy trying to hunt them down kill them in his house and it's like okay it's a cat and mouse game but they're gonna be able to escape or not but then you realize that the blind man is built this like harem in his basement where he's keeping this this woman prisoner, and he has this whole dark like really fucked up story, and like that's just like this messed up thing with within an already messed up thing, and I think that elevated it for me at least like a really serious freaky thing. Yeah, there was a lot of subplot, like this whole thing about about the blind guy having you know having this issue with the woman who killed his daughter. It's it's so much more interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, Hush was just, it was such a simple plot, you know? Yeah. It, it wasn't really much of a plot at all. I, I mean, was, I would argue it didn't even have a plot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, agree. Well, I mean... I mean, it had, like, it had, like, a story, and there were points off that story, like, you know, she had, like, she had, like a boyfriend who came to visit and got killed, remember? No, that was the neighbor's boyfriend. Right. The neighbor's boyfriend. Yeah, right. yeah. But it was never even a thing like, oh, he's going to come home. We, we didn't even... It was completely random when he did show up. Yeah, if that scene had not been there, the movie would have been exactly the same. No, I think at one point she was like, my boyfriend's coming. Like, yeah, but he didn't believe it. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> it was like, uh, yeah, yeah. There, there really was, it was, it was so silly. I mean, it, it would have been more interesting if he just tried to kill her and killed her, and it was like a 20-minute short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but in Don't Breathe, there's complexity. And, right. and there's, also, there's also complexity between the different characters. So out of the three robbers they come, there's, there's the, the main girl, I forgot her name, um, and then she's dating this horrible, horrible person, Money. Um, and then there's this other guy who's like the good guy, but still sort of a robber. And he likes the girl. Um, but she's dating this, this like weird, terrible person. Um, and, and they have this, this strange dynamic. Where after Money dies in like the first ten minutes, um, then, then the, the two remaining have this kind of weird romantic tension going on and and the the main protagonist woman um has a younger sister who's in a terrible environment and she wants to you know she wants to steal this money so that she can rescue her sister from the bad environment which is this kind of rundown home with an abusive stepfather in detroit um even the fact that that this character was so set up like, she wants something. She has drive. There's a reason for her to be there. It's not just like, oh, I want the money. It's like, no, I want the money for a personal reason. Right. As compared to Hush, it's like, what, is the per- what does the protagonist want? She's she like a shitty writer. writer. She's like a shitty get, writer. And not get killed, basically. Yeah, it's like... But like, not, the, not wanting to get killed is not... But even being, being a writer is yeah. like... It, it, there's You don't want to be a writer. You want to, like... Well, well as, as a writer. writer. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, I'm just yeah. saying, like, you, you want to... You don't want to do something that's not uh, personal. You want to do something personal, you, 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 you know, and then you have all these like physical ways of doing that. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So sure. like, or, or even like just just specificity is like the key. If we, if she were like somehow involved in what she was writing and like we had nuance. Well, that, that's what I'm what saying. If let's say she was, yeah, I think that's that's like let's say she uh, her her mother died and she wanted to write a book about. Uh, her relationship with her mother. That would be a much more interesting thing because it's like, it's personal. We can relate to that even if we're not writers writing about her mother. Mm-hmm. But like, <clears throat> there, there's nothing there for her that would, that to attach any meaning of the scenario that she's in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt that too. Yeah, I agree. Um, but in terms of, so in terms of the character complexity and character drive, those were clearly more at play in uh, don't breathe, which is why I think we all agree that it was a much stronger film. But in terms of the scares, would you say that don't breathe, like the, the, the characters being round characters or being, you know, like. Oh, absolutely. Don't means- breathe was terrifying. <laughs> so it, so I, I thought the scenes were so tense and I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. So, first of all, when they first break in and, and, the, and the blind guy. Um, finds out they're there, he's holding a gun, and they're all trying to be quiet, something drops, and he shoot, and he finds out they're there, he shoots, and he shoots money. It's crazy. It's just so tense. And also, that scene where they're downstairs, and, and the blind guy shuts off all the lights, and he says, now you see what I see. And, and it's like, it's in grayscale, and, and they're like running around, they're groping around, they can't see anything. And and he's like, and he's like grabbing at them and shooting like shots in the darkness with a gun, like it's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, that's I agree. I think those were both really terrifying. Also, scenes. you don't. So one thing, one thing about Don't Breathe is that you really don't know how it's going to end. 
Like, because right. you don't know who you're rooting for. So you don't know what was what was likely to be written in. You don't know if they're going to escape or not, or who's going to live and who's not. Um, whereas in Hush, you know that it's going to be a cat and mouse game until the end where someone lives and someone dies. That's just, you know how it's going to evolve, for sure. Right. Yeah, don't breathe. You're, you're, you're waiting to find out. I mean, so that's interesting, because in this case, like, the way we're talking about both these films, it's clear that, um, like, the market agreed with us, at least insofar as Hush was, like, a huge, huge success. No, don't Sorry, breathe. Don't breathe. Don't breathe. Like and yeah. Hush, you know, went straight to Netflix, and I don't know, <laughs> was watched by us and heavily critiqued this podcast. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, why do you think it is that... They, like, is it because of the reasons we're describing? Like, was it scarier? I think on paper, if you compare the two of them, you know, we're both talking about characters who have stark disabilities and using that as a way of, like, setting up a horror film set in a specific location. One of those, um, what's the cat? What's the Save the Cat version of that? Like, oh, Monster, Monster, Monster in the House. Monster yeah. in the House, yeah, yeah. So I'm curious. Yeah, well, it, I mean, I think it was just because Don't Breathe, it, it was... It was, um, you know, it captured your attention right from the beginning, and it was thrilling every step of the way. You know, the the setting was good. The story was was good enough to keep your interest the entire time. The scenes were were put together. You wanted to keep watching, and you enjoyed it. You know, I think it was an enjoyable, thrilling experience. Um, whereas Hush was not, and 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 that I think is what matters in the market. You know, people, yeah, yeah, people are looking to be entertained, be thrilled, have a really fun, riveting experience, yeah. and they got exactly that. Yeah, and I, I also think that um, it's also just worth pointing out, like, n- both of these films did not have any notable cast. Like, you, you weren't watching the movie because of the cast, but they were both, like, kind of high concept in their own way, and uh, and, and, they, and they both... Were had similar like you were saying, so I think they're very very easy to compare. Can I take a step back? I'm just like I'm curious. Like, I didn't love either of them so much. I like Don't Breathe a lot more than Hush, but I don't know if I would like straight up call either of them like horror horror. I think Hush was more horror than Don't Breathe. Don't Breathe seemed a lot like a thriller to me, especially like the beginning. Like there wasn't really a scare, you know, until like I remember the first few scenes. It was like a lot of like setup, and I was like, where's this going? Um, but one of the things I've gleaned from reading and watching like straight up horror a lot is that there's kind of this like rule where you kind of don't go, you know, and it could be anywhere from 10 to 15 to 20 minutes without there being some like scene that's meant to scare you, you know, like, like within the first 10 minutes, there's like something which is terrifying. I'm like, okay, that's just like a horror. You're saying an opening scene. horror movie, like. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be an opening. Like, you know, it <clears throat> follows open with like a terrifying scene. You right, know, right, right. In this world, but like get out, which you can see, so I won't go too into it. Like, it opened with, like, you know, this relationship, but, like, very soon after, like, minutes after, they're on the road driving this, fu- like, funny, sorry, his family retreat, and, like, this crazy scene happens where this dare jumps in front of the car. Oh, right, right. They swerve, and, like, you know, it just gets killed, but, like, that keeps on coming back throughout the movie. Uh, so I think there's this, like, motif of constantly being scares. Like, well, well uh, like, Hush know. did have that, I do remember, and I, I would also, I would bet that breathe, uh, Don't Breathe did, but Hush had it with the alarm in the very beginning. That was the first scare. Remind me. Uh, oh, the alarm goes off. Um, 
like uh, the smoke alarm because she overcooked the food. Oh. But but I I do think that you're right that they're not that they're not horror films uh, simply on the fact that they're not supernatural. They, they well, what is that? Like, no, again, like, it doesn't have to be supernatural. Well, well, give me a horror film that's not supernatural. Halloween. It's just like Crazy Mad Men, tracking down people. Isn't he like yeah, dead or something? The visit. Um, the visit. The visit is not a horror film. No, the visit is totally a horror film. No, sorry, sorry. It's it's not supernatural no, at all. No. It's just a visit grandparent. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But like even The Shining, I would say, is a horror. Yeah, film but that's because it's it's supernatural. Yeah, what, yeah. Right. I mean, that's based on like a supernatural premise of like a hotel. That, like, yeah. It's haunted. Yeah. No, I I actually think that neither of them are horror films though. Like right. I think I they're both they're thrillers. Well, I would definitely film. think of Hush as a horror film. Uh, why, why so? Well. I don't know. I mean, there's like a masked killer. I mean, yeah. Well, very quickly, he's not masked. Yeah. But he's trying to kill her. And yeah, she, like, and that is just a trope that horror films use a lot. Whereas, like, they're breaking into a house. Like, but you have the same thing in uh, Don't Breathe. But it's different, though, because, like, it's not somebody whose, like, MO from the beginning is to kill this person. Like, this guy sees a woman trapped in the house and decides, I'm going to take my mask and kill you. Whereas they come into his space, and once they invade him, he's like, all right, I guess I'm going to defend myself. It's more like a, you know, it's less active and more responsive. Yeah, that's a good point. But he's not defending himself. Oh, well, I guess well, he is. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. No, no, no. He, he's not. He remember he ki- the the way that, that he kills the guy, the first guy, uh, Money, in the yeah. beginning. Uh, Money already says he's gonna leave, and then he shoots him. Fine, but the point is that like in Hush, like like she's minding her own business. This guy comes along and kills him. In Don't Breathe, this guy's minding his own business. They come along into his world, and he responds to the fact that they've invaded his space. Yeah, mm. but yeah. you know, I, I think it's a good point that there's like a fine line between horror and thriller. Yeah. And they're both sort of on that spectrum. But yeah, I, I'd agree. Well, that it's a fine line because, like, you know, I'll take you off. I'll just take you off. And I'll do it again. Yeah. <laughs> is that, like, I don't know if we have these figures or stats in front of us. Maybe we can do it for future ones. It's because, like, whether or not it's, quote, classified as horror or thriller would depend a lot, would differentiate how the studios would market it. Right, and Where they would right. try to find an audience. Yeah. And, like, that could, of course, have a huge impact on those successes. Well, well, I do agree with you. Probably either way. It was marketed. I think they were, I mean... I only saw the trailer, I think, for Hush, but I was. It was marketed. To, it felt like a, a horror film. Yeah, I and, think so too. And I think it was probably marketed to that audience as a horror film. And also, the fact that they're so similar on paper means that they were probably marketed in the same exact way. Yeah, I think that's fair. As each other. Yeah. Meaning, whatever came first, the other marketed like that if it did well. Yeah, yeah, but, but I mean, yeah, maybe something being thriller broadens its appeal to. To a wider audience, yeah. But but horror, I think, gives it gives it uh, a floor. So so if a horror movie goes to theaters, there is just a sub there's just a subset of the population that's definitely going to see it. Right. So they're just horror junkies who are going to see every horror movie no matter what. And and in order to broaden outside of the of the horror genre. There has to be something more, you know. There, there's got to be a real plot, a real story. You know, I think it's probably pretty easy for horror mo- for horror movies to make a certain threshold of money when they when they go to theaters. Can you elaborate? Yeah, just because they're they're they have a committed audience. audience. Yeah, 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 just committed oh, audience. Okay. Um, but but to go beyond that audience, they really need to be quite good. And yeah. be attractive to non-horror junkies. To get to get biographical here for a second, I think there's a lot of validity what you just said, and I think uh, this podcast got its feet when first started when uh, you did your birthday a few years back when we all decided to uh, yeah. get shit faced. 
drink a lot of whiskey, sneak into Nothing the wrong with that. And, <laughs> and, and no, and uh, it was watching Paranormal Activity like four. 78. Four, yeah. Four, yeah. Okay. And yeah. uh, you were turning 24? <laughs> yeah. That's when we first started drinking? <laughs> was, that, was I actually 24? No. I, I don't like know. 2013 or 14? Yeah. I don't know. But, uh, but essentially, no, no. Yeah, yeah. The experience, I think, I, think, I think we all liked it because, you know, it was fun to be scared and it was fun to be scared while being drunk. But it was also fun to, like, see it in the setting of the movie theater with, like, right. the rest of the people around us. We right. were all kind of communal and supporting each other through the scary scenes and whatever. And I feel like that's something which horror film fans enjoy, or maybe not specifically No, that, I, I think the it's sense the sense of, right. there's just something, there's about, like, we just all get out in theaters and, like, it's amazing. If you see, don't see it in theaters, I'm sure you'll love it. But, right. like, there's something about the experience of specifically a horror but film. No, I think you're right. It's the unapologetic, just fun of yeah. going to a movie. With, like, a large <laughs> Exactly, yeah. exactly. And yeah, then, like, like, that's cool, because, like, I can imagine a lot of movies come out and people are like, yeah, I'll wait for, you know, when it's on Netflix or whatever. But for horror films, I think a lot of diehard horror fans will go to the theaters to see it for the experience of seeing it in the theater or whatever that comes along with, you know, like, mm-hmm. with the other people there with them. I think also that, like, this is a really good point. I think this is also really at the heart of why we decided to talk about horror films in the first place, is they're, like, they really feel like a different breed of films where it's, like, these movies are meant to entertain, and so it, it doesn't, it's not surprising that they do so well, and they, they're consistent. They have a consistency to them. They have, like... Uh, a very dedicated audience because the audience knows what they're getting. It's very clear. Yeah. It's like you go into Manchester by the Sea and you have no clue what you're being set up. Exactly. It's like we've all seen a thousand shitty dramas. Yeah. Yeah. It also makes them a lot easier to evaluate because if you're evaluating a drama, I mean, every drama is different from every other drama in, yeah. in a way where it's just really hard to compare the two. You know, they're going for different things, they're bringing up different topics, and you know, just, just trying to differentiate themselves in different ways. Horror movies don't really do that. You know, they're all trying to accomplish the same thing. They're trying mm-hmm. to thrill and entertain. You know, in different ways, I mean, but... To general, you could say the same thing about drama. They're trying to tell... Yeah, I, I actually think that you could say the same about drama. I would just yeah. say they're more unsuccessful. What do you mean? Yeah, what do you mean? I, I'm just saying that most people write dramas because they... I, I think that most people want to be in the serious camp of making movies and therefore try to write dramas, but really it's just they suck at it. Like, it's not that good of a... It's not... The... The... the um, like, uh, the parameters of success are, are much more vague so it's like they don't you know if a horror film doesn't make money it's like you're a shitty writer you know right right yeah I think that's what I was saying that, yeah that, yeah that like dramas have to have to establish themselves based on how much they can differentiate from each other so, so they, they compete on differentiation horror movies compete on quality more directly well here, here's, here's what I would think about it it's kind of like I evaluate and I know we might all disagree in this we'll get into it in future episodes like what I would call the Stephen King approach. Oh, I can't believe you brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> there he goes again. Yes. I want to shut it off. <laughs> no, but essentially, like I, you know, and Stephen King, you know, you guys right. <laughs> yeah. he, uh, Oh, by the way, let me just cut you off again. Cause <laughs> but Stephen King was a big fan of Hush. Yeah, I, I know. He tweeted about it. What the hell? I don't know. Yeah, I don't Guys, trust I him. paying him. I'm telling you. Like, <laughs> yeah. I know. It's just He's like the so co-writer or something. <laughs> no, hold on. But, but he what is I'm... making... So Mike Flanagan's making Stephen King's next movie. Gerald's game. So, yeah. Right. Oh, so I there it is. Oh, fine. So maybe they were yeah, talking or something. Conflict of interest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, Stephen King is also like... Yeah. 
praise a lot of like really shitty movies, series, and TV shows on Twitter in the past. I don't really trust. Yeah, like yeah was shining. he like a? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he really yeah. shits on the shining all the time. Big fan of like the original Power Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I was gonna say is that uh, I think I think when you're evaluating uh, horror movies in comparison to like dramas, it can be a little murky. But if you're essentially, I view a horror movie as succeeding if and when it's scary. If it scares you, that's like a very basic barometer for success. And I think it's more neat and clean to compare it to a comedy which I think the problem with success is is, it's fun, is it funny you know what I mean like so the same way that if a yeah. movie scares you it's good I think if a comedy makes you laugh it's good and then like secondary to it or involved whether or not it makes you laugh or makes you scared is like the character depth and how that plays into the scares or the humor um, a wise friend told me that there's a certain baseline of reality <laughs> <laughs> uh, shout out to Eitan Levine but, but I think also e- either way um, we, we, we all do agree on whether we think that why we think dramas are not as like let's say consistently good or why they have such a bad rap but like horrors are like you know what you're getting it's like <clears throat> we all agree that horror is much more like a commodity where th- we feel that even by the fact that we feel so easily that we're so easily able to compare different horror films means that there's like they're much more similar to each other yeah, and they, they provide they're trying to provide the same thing like I could be ignorant yeah. I'm trying to think of like you know I, I was thinking we saw a movie two years ago which I hated I think it was a Terrence Malick film uh, Brad Pitt won the, the Gift of Life or something. Oh, uh, it was yeah. just like this non-linear, like impressionistic, like yeah. very hazy movie. Uh, whatever, I think it was. I think it did well or was critically received well. But um, like that was a very experimental drama, and there's like a ton of experimental dramas out there. But I'm trying to think if there are like equivalent experimental horror films, and I can't really think of any off the top of my head. Blair Witch. Uh, like found footage yeah I guess it's like groundbreaking but a lot of those films a lot of the successful ones they do follow a very like um, what's it called Um, Paranormal Activity the the first one it's like a very tight like you know it's it's like a very uh, uh, beat by beat I think traditional horror film you know and I think the same thing also with with, uh, even though they're experimenting in the way that they're being shot you know Mm -hmm. but in like uh in the way that the story's being in the in the just the story beats, I think they they are very traditional. Hmm. Okay, yeah, I think that makes. I mean, Cloverfield is is a Godzilla story. Right, right, okay. exactly. But right. I think it's, yeah, I guess when I'm experimental, I'm talking more about like less about the actual story beats, and so I'm talking more about the way that it's filmed. So right, you know, right. Footage would be yeah that, but even that's become such a trope at this point. Yeah, and then there's like Saw and all sorts of shitty torture like, porn. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess those are a sort of different category. Another reason I think also why horror films are, are a good baseline for us is that uh, horror films are known also for doing so much better than their budgets. Like, they're known for, their multiples are huge. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, in, um, Paranormal Activity was made for $10,000, and then, you know, 10, whatever. $10,000? Who knows? Crazy. I know, it's crazy. But so, so who knows how much post-production was put in after DreamWorks bought it. But it was originally made for 10000 and ended up doing a quarter of a billion dollars. It, it's insane. It's crazy. It's insane. And and the other uh, Blair yeah, Witch Project made almost as much. I mean, not really. Yeah, it also yeah. made a lot of money. So it, it's. It, I think that that's also just another reason why it's an interesting conversation because, um, you know, you don't hear dramas making doing that. You know, no, no one goes yeah. out and makes a drama, uh, in their basement and then it ends up making like <laughs> half a billion dollars. Yeah. 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 Uh, I read Get Out just crossed the hundred million dollar mark. I'm curious how much it was made for. Yeah. I think it was made for two million or two point five, oh something like that. God. Yeah, that's so good. I know. So why is that? Yeah, one hundred fifteen million worldwide, four point five million budget. Four point five. Okay. Shit, that's nuts. It's not as good. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Should have made it. So I think, I think one, of the, one of the one of the goals we have for like future podcasts is to like really get into the financials of these films we're discussing. 
Um, which might mean we have to pick films that have more readily available financial information. That's a good point. Like, yeah. Hush has nothing. Yeah. Um, it they can't speak. But off the top of your head, why do you why do you think it is that horror films can be made on such a short, small budget and produce so much? Fewer locations, probably. They they like they're just pretty often take place in one location, like one yeah. house. So it, they save money on locations, I would imagine. I also think that the type of people who are making horror films, there's already, there it feels like there's an intelligence at least in not being biased, not or not being uh, like not bringing their own snobbery to it. You know, I, I don't think a lot of people who go to film school, let's say, f- f- go into it being like, oh, I want to make, you know, big horror films, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think that... Why would that like snobbery <laughs> translate into success? Well, I think there's also, it's, it's, pro- it's more practical. So I think that you can come up with cheaper stories that could do better. Yeah. So, you know, to me, I, I would assume that the more aggressive filmmakers, the people who are really trying to get in, that, that's a good avenue for them. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I hear that. Why have you not pursued that then? <laughs> I don't know. It's pretty dumb at this point. But no, I do think that, that that is a good question. Like maybe that's what we should be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Final thoughts, fellas? <laughs> um, don't I think, watch Hush. I think, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I think we actually, this last part was our final thoughts on Hush. Yeah. And, and, 